Hello, and welcome back to the Brew Theology Podcast. This is part two of our interview with Carrie Fisher. You can learn more about Brew Theology at brewtheology.org. At Brew Theology on Instagram and Facebook, and at Brew underscore Theology on Twitter. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Even when it comes to spirituality, and, and you talked about language and how important it is, and, and that's the world that we all kind of find ourselves in, obviously, as we're doing a podcast, and you know, Carrie, you're a writer, and Janelle's a writer, and I mean, this is this has always been a part of, of who we've all been. One of, uh, and I'm not going to name the person, but one of our gatherings this year, we had somebody in there, and their vocation also had to do with words as well. I'll leave it there. But had a very difficult time when we got to deep ecumenism and plurality of that one river, many wells by Matthew Fox. And, you know, this person was there to engage, but it, at one point was stuck in this, um, as Perry talks about these schemes and whatnot, like, okay, realize that there is dualism, but then there's this multiplicity. But then it, it there was like, okay, I got I've got I have to stop at some point. I don't know where this person stopped, but it was essentially that there are more sacred things that happen in the organized church. And this was out of their mouth. And so mm-hmm. and I'm sitting I'm sitting at this this particular table with somebody who is a a Jewish medium, which is a that's that's a paradox, mm-hmm. an animist, an atheist, and I'm a little bit of a Christian mutt myself. I'm interestingly, I'm probably in a lot of these settings the most conservative person around the table, which is kind of funny to some people. But then I finally just had to say, so, so where do you stop your spirituality? At what point does does something become um, more sacred and less sacred? And I, I finally went straight to the bedroom. I was like, so I tried to get, I tried to get scandalous. I'm like, is that sacred? Is that you know? And and just kind of, this person was like a little taken aback that I would go there. I'm like. Like, why, why do you feel, and I, and I was getting a little angsty, not, not angry, but just like, they weren't able to see that this person's holy experience was at Fenway. And then somebody's like, oh, my favorite, my most sacred moment ever. And I, I went around the table, what's your most sacred moment? This person said, when I went to Fenway for the first time, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's beautiful. I'm a baseball fan. I've been there. I get it. But again, who gets to decide? That's always the interesting question, right? It's like, I mean, on some level, I guess I do get to decide for myself, but even that gives me some um, sorrow to think about because even the notion of deciding means that I'm kind of drawing some lines around my own experiences and I'm going to name if something is sacred or not. And, you know, a thing I've been thinking a lot about and speaking a lot about in the last year on this topic is um I feel I have to say I feel really proud of it because I brought it up in therapy at one point in time a couple of years ago in therapy my my therapist said you know it sounds like you are mourning the loss of a just world and I was like yeah um and she was like but the world isn't just and I was sort of like well then how is everyone remaining alive? Like, what do we do? What what do we do if there's no justice? Like, I can't, I really can't accept that. And so I started meditating on it over the, the next few months or something. And it finally sort of came to me that um, in my upbringing, a lot of people get stuck in naivete. This, this notion that like, I'm not going to learn. I'm not going to ask too deep of questions and I'm not going to step in too deep of water because um, I need to protect my innocence through naivete, right? If what I don't know will keep me safe. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And then, and I didn't want to be in that space, right? But then I thought like, but also I just don't have the temperament to be a nihilist. I don't really have it in me to be like, there's nothing, nothing matters. And and that's probably a perversion of how people might embrace that, that philosophy. But um, it just doesn't actually suit me to think that there, that we are only making our own meaning in the world. So I just thought like, what is the middle? What is the, what is, what is not either of those things, you know? And it just finally dawned on me after a decade of calling myself a Christian mystic, it was like, oh, mystery. (laughs) Mystery says that sometimes you're going to do everything right possible to have a sacred life and have sacred experiences and nothing you come up empty-handed it doesn't come the spirit doesn't seem to have come the spoils that you've been promised for being a good girl don't show up and sometimes you can be doing something that you even maybe kind of think is sinful and in that sin you find something sacred and I, I was like what what is that and and I, I landed on you know really where where we can find the truth is in the mystery because mystery allows for the for the truth that there are some practices that I do that set me up a little bit better to notice and feel and be baptized in sacredness when it's there but also there are times that I find myself weeping at a moment or a uh, you know having chills over something that I did literally nothing to try and set up mm-hmm. And I just think that's scary for a lot of us. It's scary for me at times, because as we said at the beginning, a smaller version of myself would be willing to give up mystery if I could just have control. Because mystery seems like those mystical moments of sacredness do sometimes feel few and far between. And I'm saying that as someone with a tremendous amount of privilege in my life. So I I, I can't, I'm not sure what it, it might seem like it happens more often or less often for someone with less privilege. I'm not sure. But um, I do think that like, that is what keeps me in that space of um, commitment within relativism, because it allows me to believe that like, it's not meaningless that I have practices like going to church or praying or being in nature or dancing. It's not meaningless. I know those things often do something in me. But it's also not meaningless if out of nowhere, when I think I've been the worst I've ever been, I get some kiss from God, from human, from whatever. So I just think that's really, it can be on the other side of the terror of that, there is a piece to that. Yeah. One of the fun ones here in Colorado, um, when we were moving here 10 years ago, we asked people, what are, what are things we should do? And everyone said, go to Red Rocks for a concert. And we're like, you have mountains and national parks. Like, what are you talking about? Go to a concert? (laughs) Yeah. And then we went to Red Rocks for a concert. And then we went back again and again because it's a a drug. I'm telling you, it's it's the greatest drug. I love that. But it's such an amazing venue and everything sounds like the the blown out feeling you get at a lot of concerts like you don't you don't get that there i don't know what it is it's just the way that it's for the form and 
how the it, sound flows and it you just can't help yourself i mean it it is a beautiful mysterious experience to to go to a concert there yeah you could see a bunch of five-year-olds with with uh, kazoos and it'd be awesome it's just it's yeah. beautiful about that place it's <laughs> it's holy ground for sure you know, I saw, I saw a tweet recently or Instagram or something where someone said, I used to think it was the Holy Spirit when I raised my hands in worship. And then I went to a U2 concert and the same thing happened or something. And kind of the vibe of that was like, sort of like, so it was all b- bullshit. Um, but, I, and that's one way to interpret it. You know, I think another way to interpret it is not that it was not mystical and beautiful and touching something you in one space, but just that it's, I really feel right now, like I keep feeling like it's expansive. It's not that it's like, oh, I trade this for this. Actually, now I know that was dumb lyrics and not bad theology. So it wasn't moving. That's the thing about mystery and and mysticism is like, you can't help if you get chill bumps. I mean, I guess someone could say there's certain things that can kind of manipulate it, but you can't help if some if you're moved by something. So rather than saying, taking one set of things and saying, I used to think that was sacred. Now I think this is sacred. What if we were just open to the idea yeah. that both swimming in the cold springs and also being in a Sunday school class could both create something yep. mystically changing? Well, I, I feel like I'm sure you all do too. So many people that I talked to who grew up in the church that it was about having your Bible studies, having your quiet times and journaling and all these things. And then it's the continual, I feel like I, I've heard the story a thousand times of people like, I don't connect with God doing any of those things. But, and then there it is, there's a story of how they experience the divine, but they feel like less of a person because we have, we have created that, that uh, duality, right? Economy, yeah. It's unfortunate for sure. I think that's what's really helped me because unfortunately, in some ways, I'm really situated to be a person who the way that we've set up education and the way that we set up church really works for me. You know, it really works for my strengths and my temperament. So I could have, I could have gone my whole life being one of the people I think who says like, if you can't find God in this, something is wrong with you. I was blessed to be in relationship with a father and I'm actually quite drawn to people who are really moved by nature. And so fishing and swimming and things of that nature, I see, I see that like, if I'm honest, if the scales are from my eyes, I see that those things are doing the sacred in them in a way that it doesn't for me. Mm -hmm. And I see that the other things that work for me are not doing it for them. And I think it's, uh, we've just been, like you said, we've been so comprehensively socialized of what things are good and what things are bad and what things are holy and what things are hobby. And um, if we can disabuse ourselves of some of those notions, even if, for ourselves church works or you know doing a bible study ever i have a friend who legitimately she's my only friend i think i have one friend who still the experience of something very sacred with a two-hour morning bible study i mean i feel, i think everyone else i know has admitted it didn't do anything for me <laughs> that i that i'm yeah. aware of or it did one in ten times 
And I'm so happy for her, you know, like an earlier version of myself would want to say like, she's kind of like caught up in the lie of what the system's trying to tell her to do. And she should go on more walks or something. But the truth is like, I'm delighted for her that that's doing that thing. And I'm delighted for me that I'm not doing that thing anymore. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, there's so so many different directions I'd like to to take on that one. I, I think that Janelle, do you, do you have anything else on the, on on this specific thing? Because this this is like a whole conversation within the conversation that I love. Yeah, I, I mean, think, I, I, I think it's important. I think what was bubbling up for me is just the word judgment and how that word has has changed. Like I lived in that space for so many years of like her two hour thing is is the best thing you could do, and that's the wrong thing to do, and now that letting go of judgment uh maybe this ties into like control like if i'm gonna let go of judgment then i have to let go of control and my understanding of right and wrong and but those messages are so deep Mm -hmm. i mean they've been ingrained in me for so long and so i'm really that's one thing i've been trying to do is just let that let go of that judgment because that that doesn't mean that everything's okay. Like, you know, there are still rights and wrongs in the world, but I love the way you're talking about it. Just the expansiveness of experience that we can acknowledge that other people do it differently and that's okay. And, but it's taken me a while to get there, to be honest. Yeah. And guess what? If we're being honest also, someone somewhere is saying that going to a ballpark is spiritual and sacred for them and it's actually deflective and dissociative and that's okay i'm not it's not my job it's not my job everyone is uh experiencing what they say they're experiencing or looking deeper or looking wider i think sometimes again we do that dualistic thing like okay then if someone tells me that you know, bungee jumping is the only way they find God and they're doing it at the expense of their family eating. You know, it's like, we don't have to be okay with every single thing someone calls sacred, but we can have a posture that's like, they probably know better than me what their experience is. And also they'll probably get there wherever there is. If um, right now they're lying to themselves or other people, I bet if we believe in an animating spirit of some variety that I don't control that spirit's animation. It is working independently of my prodding or questioning or judging. Yeah. Yeah. The the example you just used of the bungee jumping, like I know families that that they used the church to the expense of their family. They, of their, their service, their mission was more important than having regular meals or and 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 now looking back on that i just i'm like why couldn't i see that then that there's a pro there is a problem there not not in a trying to control it way but just like like your kids need food well there was a machine interested in keeping us from seeing it wasn't there yeah yeah okay so when it comes to this topic this is going to get maybe dangerous for some people and some you know perhaps some listeners out there but I'm okay with that. And I think that when it, this conversation in the framework in which we're dealing with what we see in our, 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 me, our media and our news cycle, specifically in the algorithms that we are all stuck in, is that some people, whether it's, you know, the Fox News or, the, or now CNN, which I think has shifted over the last 10 years, 
and, and then it becomes this, well, you're not, you're not right enough, meaning conservative right, or you're not left enough, uh, you know, mm-hmm. or like, so how can we have these conversations where we can look at Israel and Palestine? And it, so it's a binary. It's like, well, either you're pro-Israel or you're pro-Palestinian. Like, why can't we critique what's happening in that complex situation or with Russia and Ukraine or with, I mean, fill in the blank because we, we get so scared of like, oh, I can't, I can't critique this because this is this goes against the narrative of my tribe. And so I'm going to get outed. And I really do think that to use the label liberals are just as bad as conservatives. Now, I don't really see much of a difference there. It's like, why can't we openly have this conversation and this critique? So that's finding ourselves stuck in that black and white thinking in a world that should be a little bit more open because we have all the information. But we we want to blind ourselves to this specific truth. And the minute we begin to question it, you're like, oh, shit, now I'm just a conspiracy theorist. Now I'm just like Joe Rogan, I guess. Now I'm just, you know, and it becomes like, well, you know what? Maybe there's some stuff in there that's pretty good. I recently, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to little tangent here. But I was watching, this is going to be, people are going to want to cancel me. I was watching Tucker Carlson recently, finding myself agreeing with him as much as I don't want to. Wow. Can I admit that? Well, I just did. (laughs) You know what I mean? Um, How do we enter into that? Because I think that politics is the new religion. And the algorithms that we find ourselves in on social media and online is the new, you know, medium to put us in team A or team B. So can you help unpack this a little bit? Because this this seems to be the thing that's driving me crazy as I, I just look online and I watch all this craziness happen. Yeah, I have several thoughts there. So let me try to think about what the tags are for each of them. I think I want to say something around our, I want to say something around humans, and I want to say something about online. <laughs> so I think the virtuosic thing that's happening when people say you're not being liberal enough or you're not being conservative enough, where the virtue is in that sometimes is that it's like, hey, be careful because things are high stakes here. So if you, with a certain amount of power and privilege, let's say that thousands of people listen to this podcast, then we have to be responsible for even what might feel flippant in the moment, right? So like, if someone could take from what I'm saying today that like, hey, trust Tucker Carlson, no matter what, you know, <laughs> if, that, if that could if that could happen from what we've said, we actually do have to be, um, I think, responsible for our power. And so few of us want to really acknowledge the amount of power that we have. Um, we, we've, I don't know, some of it is about false humility. I think some of it is about, just feeling distant from power. Like none of us feel like we have as much power as we have, but I do think we have to take responsibility for like some of something that some people are doing, whether on the right or the left is like, Hey, we're either going to vote that people can have abortions or we're going to vote that they can't. And depending on what you think that means, we can't be just like willy nilly about this. And we can't even give the appearance of siding with something when the stakes are so high. So I think that's where at the very core, there might be some virtue into ways that people get polarized, right? I think that though, politics and how we vote, who we side with, so to speak, politically is different than what we see in individual humans. So like, we're all at the end of the day, especially how we vote here, (laughs) we're going to vote for a team, team A, team B, potentially some little fake team C, 
right? We only really have two choices. We really only have two choices here. And so in that way, when we pull a lever, when we push a button, we are going to take a side. And I think we have to do the research and be able to defend because often we don't agree with everything on that side, right? But we're going to have to say, when I did my cost benefit analysis, it was more important to me that these things happened than these other things. Now, I think what you're saying, though, is really important at the human level, which is that when I grew up, I remember one time my mom said, I'm, uh, she had heard someone use the term yellow dog Democrat, and I have no idea what that comes from. So if it is an offensive saying, I'm realizing in this moment, I don't know what that means. But, but for her, what it meant was that's somebody who I think she was like, I would rather vote for a dead dog or a yellow dog or something than a conservative. I learned at that time that there was a way that you could vote where you could just push a button and say, vote for everyone on on one side and you don't even like think about individual. And even as a child, I thought, ooh, I don't think that's good. (laughs) I don't think it's good if we take the thinking component out of each and every vote and we just say like, I don't need to even read a line about that person. If they're the blue color or they're the red color, I'm with them. And if they're the opposite color, I am not. I think that's a very, very dangerous place to be in the world. Now, I should say my my favorite and famous thing here that I got from my life and teachings of Jesus professor uh, in undergrad, Wallace Roark, he always taught us that the truth so often lies in the tensions between two extremes. However, that does not mean that the te- that the truth ex- exists at the center. So we we especially in the last ten or fifteen years. Um, there's been a group of us who have made the center a new binary, right? That's like truly smart people, truly loving people are centrist. That doesn't work any better than the other two things because um, the example I always give is that like, if we've got like Nazism on one side and pacifism on the other side, you might not, you might not relate to either. You might not want either, but hopefully one of those seems like a less evil thing than the other. And so you're going to be up closer to one side. So he he would say, and there's, and people who look at thinking errors would say that there's a middle road fallacy that says like, if you're in the middle, then you're right. That's not good. So I don't think that we should be um, without thinking about it on either end of the extremes or in the center without thinking about it. But what you're saying, I think is so important because every human pretty much at some point in time is going to make a good point (laughs) or they're going to have something that's unexpected about how they view something. Or at the very least, they might have a point that you really disagree with, but you never had understood before where someone was coming from. And when they said it with their story, you said, oh, I see what's happening here. This is about power, or this is about their relationship to their sister who had this diagnosis, or this is about trying to fit into a system. This is the only way to be seen, right? So I think while I'm going to be really cautious about So I don't really do anything online except for like promote my blog on my Instagram. But but as an individual, as Carrie Fisher, a human, I do nothing online. And part of it is for this reason. Um, I don't want to take in all of the binary information that's out there. And I also don't want to contribute to it. So I'm probably not online going to say like, hey, everybody check out this really great point that, you know, Donald Trump made or whatever. 
because I'm thinking about my power position and I'm thinking about how little control I have over what people do with it once they get into that mm-hmm. sphere, right? But me personally, when I'm talking to trusted friends, when I'm watching a television show, I sure hope that I'm able to agree with the humanity of whether it's Rachel Maddow, whether it's Tucker Carlson, whether it's Biden, whether it's Trump. I hope that I'm always remembering that they're someone's child, they're someone's partner, potentially, they're someone's father or mother or who, what a friend. And they're a human who came to believe the things that they believe based on certain experiences and potentially evidence. So if I find myself literally never agreeing with someone who votes a different way than I do, I think there's probably something going on there. It could be that I've not had enough intimate experiences with that person to see anything other than the performative side. It's so rarely true that someone, even who's trying to be performative, you always can find some space where someone sees it from a little bit of a different angle than their party would have them or that their their um, pastor would have them. And so I really appreciate, I think all of us should be able to, at the human level to hear something that someone says who believes differently than us, maybe on 90% of things and say, hey, in that instance, I mean, there are, there are people who... If someone they don't like said green beans are nutritious, they would, or let's say broccoli, broccoli is nutritious, they would say, no, it can't possibly be because that person said it. And it's like, ugh, we become really <laughs> bad voters, really bad citizens. Yeah. And I think less able to see humanity humans if we're situated to be against a human based on their affiliations. Yeah, I, th- I think you nail it right there, at least from our... Um... Our tradition that we come from, which that Christian tradition that those made in the image of God, regardless of of their ideas and their beliefs and their systems that they uphold, at least to be challenged by them and to respect them as a human. I mean, doesn't mean that you have to agree with them, but if you're never challenged or you just dismiss them altogether, then that in some ways makes you just as bad. Now, I I will say that there are some people that are toxic that you should probably not have in your life for a season or if not for eternity. You know, I think that's a little bit different um, than just people that you disagree with you know, or talking heads or whatnot. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, it's frightening that we we have lost that art of cultivating those spaces. Um, and a lot of, I think a lot of it's, it's screen time. Um, if I, if I were just trying to like, how do we become the way we are? I mean, it could just be, I don't think we're that way. I just think we become that way because of technology. And I mean, and I've seen this in Janelle, you have too, when you get people around and you have to carry in your classrooms and you, you get people around a table and you start having these really difficult conversations it may get heated, but eventually you're not you're not gonna get. I don't know, you're you're not gonna cancel people in the flesh unless they say something that just hits your core. But that's probably not gonna happen in those spaces if you're having intelligent conversations. Uh, it could get passionate, you know. I mean, Janelle, how many times have we disagreed with people around yeah. us? And I, I've and I've seen you and somebody that we love get into a really heated conversation, but also stay friends and and respect each other. And I'm like, okay, that's that's where it should be. Some traditions do this well. I lived in the Caribbean for two years, and I swear I thought that some of these people were going to kill each other the way they were screaming and yelling, but they were just having a conversation. They were just passionate, like, oh, okay, so you're not you're not going to break up as friends? Like, look, I thought you were going to you going to get a machete and go to town on this guy. Like, no, we're just that's it's called hand waving in some cultures, you know. Uh, but in in America, at least in the Western world, the minute we do that, like, oh, we lose friends, you know. 
And I do think you're reminding me that, you know, politeness or what is called politeness is a tool of supremacy culture, right? And so there is something to vigilance. There is something to someone getting angry that you would follow someone or give money to someone or try to humanize. I think we should try to humanize people, but try to make someone more palatable for people if they're doing an evil thing, if they're harming someone. So I feel glad that sometimes we're getting, we, we're we um, especially teaching young people, you know, there is something very holy about their anger, right? And their, their interest in saying like, I won't stand for this. I won't be polite. Sometimes I'm like, you know, you might think about how many years your grandma has left before you, uh, <laughs> before you decide how you're going to uh, challenge all of her beliefs. But um, something can have a holy impulse and go too far, right? Um, and so I think when we start losing sight of someone's humanity, when we start wishing ill harm on someone we're really in a space of like I I would love all day long for someone to say I can't believe you would promote that person's agenda and here's why because we've had too many Christians in particular for too long sort of say like I trust the institution I'm not going to make a fuss I'm glad we're in a season of making a fuss but I also think that we just we cannot get to the point where we are feeling comfortable with saying we hate a person. We're saying comfortable, right. we're comfortable with someone wanting to harm someone. You know, that feels like, is there a religion where that's okay? I don't, I don't, I don't think it is. <laughs> I think protecting people's humanity is kind of what all spirituality and religion is about on some level. So that's a super important. It's what it's supposed to be about. <laughs> yeah. What are you, I'm, I'm curious as we're kind of ending this time together, but what are you, what are your current practices that you commit to um, or that you want to commit to, you ha- maybe you haven't yet, that expand your thinking, um, that act of moving from that binary to non-binary? So what, what does that practically look like for you? I know you shared some of this before at the pub, but I'm, I'm curious if, if that's changed or you're moving on to something else. But I, I think that's fascinating to to actively pursue this in a way that's like, okay, here here's some things I, I've done and they've worked for me. Yeah. One of the things that I do, because I am such a reader, watcher, listener, I like to take, I like to consume a lot of media, is that I keep track of everything that I read, watch, and listen to every year. And I kind of run the analytics on it (laughs) so that I can find out. Like a few years ago, I found, I found out much to my embarrassment that I probably hadn't read anything by an Asian or Asian American author in years. And it wasn't because, to my knowledge, that I had any hatred or bias or or anything that I was trying to stoke in myself. It was that, like, we tend to take in content that is either by people that are like us or the people that we hang around because someone hands you a book and they say, this was so great. Or someone recommends a podcast and we're inundated with such good content these days that it can be easy to look up and say, like, oh, I've not read anything that a woman wrote in 14 years. And so um, I really run the analytics on the content that I'm taking in. And then I make some decisions for the next year about um, that we're in the space right now where I get to be looking at all of it. And I make some decisions about like, man, I keep saying I'm going to listen, I'm going to read more, but from people who are, for example, non-binary and yet I still ha- it still hasn't made my way in. So maybe that's where I need to make some goals is like, I'm going to read, watch, or listen to at least five things in 2023 by people who are non-binary. So that's one big sort of in the intellectual sphere thing that I do. And sort of despite myself, 
I'm trying really hard to figure out this buzzword and I think spiritual practice of embodiment because though I can't tell you exactly how it works, hashtag mystery, I do have a sense that at the very least, when I go on quiet walks, when I try to slow down my processes so that I take note of what my body is doing, we, we have often, so many of us had an experience where we have conflated what our body and our brain are doing. And of course, in some ways they are the same entity, but so I don't even realize the thoughts I've affixed to a visceral experience if I don't give myself the time to separate. So I'm trying really hard. I'm not a very, I'm a person who really enjoys the life of the mind and I am more eked out by bodies. And so I'm trying to get more comfortable with experiences that are not intellectual in nature, that are visceral in nature. And I think that is going to be a part of me getting to um, experience, like getting to know what I'm thinking and feeling in the moment and being then more open to what other people are bringing instead of being on that autopilot of, oh, I just like fully discredited what that person said because they're the kind of person that somewhere deep in me, I don't think that they deserve my attention or I don't think they deserve to be considered in the same way that someone else. So I think those are probably... I, I'm in regular therapy, which helps me to do that second thing, which helps to remind me that it's important and notice where it is off track for me. Um, and I get to go, as you know, to a church where we are reminded to think about marginalization and pain. And I think it's really important to to have sorrow as a part of our spiritual practice, because many of us have been socialized in places where toxic positivity has been what we've given. And if you can't clap your hands about it, then it's not, it's not, uh, you're not experiencing the joy of the Lord. And I find such joy in being at a place where we actually um, lament how far from holy so many places in our world are that is a practice that really sustains me and in some ways feels like it's making up for a lot of the damage of my youth of being in places who were like if you are if you are upright then you will have the desires of your heart and it was like no that's interesting it seems like that's happened a lot more for rich white people than the rest of us so what's going on there and and that might not even be true that probably also is a if if I could look in the interior of someone's life, that probably even doesn't work out in that way. So I like being at a place where I can regularly engage the sorrow and the repentance for the ways that we're having uh, inequitable experiences on this planet. Yeah, yeah. that's so critical. I, I've I've been thinking lately about obviously in this you know this season that we're in, it's the darkest season, and yet you have all the light. So it's kind of like that paradox of light and darkness and cultivating joy and the sorrow and all that but self-loathing becomes a huge part i think of, of it can be of this cycle of the year as well for a lot of people yeah so how do you then hold that place of um i'm down but not get to self-loathing to have people around you that can sort of hold you up in the in those places of pain not to ignore it because repression then manifests itself in really ugly ways but um, that's that's something that I, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot, uh, quite a bit. Um, and it, it does, and I think it has to involve a community of people. So I was going to say, it brings us back to the binary, right? That like 
I can actually be full of sorrow and full of joy yeah. or a, a lot of sorrow and a little joy or a lot of joy and a little sorrow. And the so many times we we've been led to believe that it's all or nothing. Either this is the darkest time of the year or it is the brightest, most whimsical time of the year. And right. it can be both of those things. Two things can be true. It's, it's absolutely. Yeah. I, I you know, I think I've shared this with you and, and I know Dan would appreciate this as our old friend, Dan. And uh, I've been diving more into Buddhism, the philosophy as a, and as a Christian, I think it's expanded my Christianity in, in better ways. Hopefully it has. But that practice of mudita, that sympathetic joy, positive empathy, where you come alongside somebody else and their joys, regardless of where your life is, like that then gives you joy, even if, you know, and, there, and that, but that's that shared oneness that I think that we all, we often in the West, we don't dive into that deeply because it, it is about me. Whereas mudita is expansive and it's, it truly does believe in the interdependence of all living things, you know, so we should yeah we should be happy for others at the same time um we can be sad for ourselves I, I yeah but it's it's so like you're saying like we get caught in one way or this way like i should be positive or i should be so loathy like no no but uh it's, it's a bit of a paradox it's, it's powerful yeah i love the idea one of that pastor and and the church that i was a part of in in that methodist church in abilene we often talked about that the prayers that we say the things that we do at church on sunday we're doing we're all saying it in hopes that some of us can mean it. And so like when there is a prayer where someone is saying like, I'm full of joy, the spirit of God is upon me. I'm I'm there with people saying it sometimes who mean it more than me. And that's what's beautiful. And also sometimes when we're saying God has turned God's back on me, where can God be found in the in the depths? sometimes I'm the one who means that most. And sometimes I'm reminded that this is true for someone who stands next to me. And so that is a beautiful part of community wherever we find it is that we're reminded that life is non-binary within ourselves, but also certainly across other people. Isn't there something, even with the changing of the seasons, you know, we were talking when we first hopped on, I hate winter. I'm a Texas baby. I <laughs> it makes me grumpy. I can't believe that there's anything likable about it. But as I've aged, a beautiful thing that really sustains me is knowing that some of my friends feel so cozy in winter. And the notion that they are delighted in the time when I am not is a gift to me. And again, we only have that to the degree that we are in community. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. A great, a great picture. That would be smart wool socks. Because they're warm and cozy, but they also, when you sweat in them, they don't, they're just not yeah. like, you know, so there you go. <laughs> Thank God for Smart Wool Socks. No, no, our official, unofficial sponsor. Come on, Smart Wool. <laughs> <laughs> this was great. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for your time and your energy to the work that which you do in the world and here uh, selfishly in, in Central Texas that I get to be a part of um, with you, so. Um, if you listeners like this podcast, which I think I think you already have, especially if you've hung with us all the way at the end, then make sure you share it online. We're also at Brew Theology on Instagram and Facebook, Brew underscore Theology on Twitter, and then Carrie. As long as Twitter exists, the Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie, you've got a you've got a handle out there on Instagram, don't you? I do. It's Black White Other Blog. That is on Instagram and Carrie Fisher. 
we, we didn't need to touch on the Star Wars reference, but that's K-E-R-R-I-F-I-S-H-E-R.com. You can go there as well. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cool. This was so, so lovely and refreshing in the midst of this dark winter time. <laughs> yes. So nice to meet you and talk and hang yeah. out. It's been awesome. <laughs>